Imagine things getting worse is easy. It's cheap. It's very cheap to imagine how things go wrong, because that is the probable destination. That's the that's entropy. Entropy is most things are going to fail. Most things are going to break. It's easy to imagine them breaking. It's much harder to imagine how things work well, and we have this problem right now with AI. It's far easier to imagine all the ways that it doesn't work, and harder to imagine how it works. I'm Mary Long, and that's Kevin Kelly, founding editor of Wired Magazine and author of the new book *Excellent Advice for Living*. Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner caught up with Kelly to discuss a key financial concept that applies to all aspects of life, the imagination required of optimists, and how Amazon won through optionality. This is an excerpt from a full interview, which you can listen to on the Rule Breaker Investing podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes for you. I asked you ahead of time if you would consent to me randomizing different、mm. pages of your book, and then just picking my favorite quote off that page and doing the interview that way. And you said you would allow us to go where our whims are. In this case, my dice take us,、mm-hmm. and so that's where we're going to start, Kevin. I've lined up、yeah. about eight quotes here. And this was randomly chosen. In fact, the order we'll be talking through these was itself randomly chosen. I guess a, a less lazy interviewer would have actually sculpted everything. But I'm. This is how I roll, and I think you're really good with that too. So let's start with the first quote. For each of these, I'm just going to spot you up, and there might be a story or an anecdote that you have in mind, or simply additional thoughts you have for each. And I kind of love that the first one I randomized was from page eighty-five, and this is what you write on page eighty-five: all the greatest prizes in life, in wealth, relationships, <laughs> or knowledge, come from the magic of compounding interest by amplifying small, steady gains. All you need for abundance is to keep adding one percent more than you subtract. On a regular basis. Now, I literally randomized that first, but that couldn't be a better Motley Fool setup. I don't think. I, I was like, "Are sure? Are sure that you weren't cheating there?" Because that <laughs> seems also familiar to me.、Um, yes, it's true. That, and, and my point is that it's not only true for money, for those little magic coins, but that it's actually true for relationships. It's actually true for skills. It's true for civilization as a whole. If we, as a civilized society, can create one percent more than we destroy, then we can make civilization that way. In fact, that's all civilization is. I mean, there's just plenty of destruction and problems, but we create a few percent more than we、um, destroy, and that compounded over time gives us our society today. So, so it is absolutely true for finance, but it's also true for other things like relationships. If you can be, you know, if you can love a few percent more than than you than you are,、um, you know,、uh, when you're being nasty or mean, you can actually compound that over time and accumulate、um, something good. And 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 so there is this magic. Force, as Einstein says, this marvelous force in the universe, but it does apply even beyond 
um, the little stacks of bills. And of course, we do spend a fair amount of time at The Motley Fool thinking about the compounding effects of money and interest, yeah. as you say. And certainly, that is in some ways an easy read because it's numbers. It's numerical. You can actually right, play right. it out forward in a spreadsheet. You can quantify it, enumerate it. Whereas when you start saying, well, relationships, that takes us off into a right brain qualitative assessment. And I really appreciate that in your mind, and I think mine too, I find this persuasive. It's apply. It's everything's compounding. Everything, it's, all of silly, yes. everything is compounded up to this moment for better and for ill that you can, you and I could share in this discussion. So Everything is compounding. What we do is parents compounds. I love you described earlier your approach to parenting where it sounds like you really didn't offer much guidance. You just tried to do it through action. And that itself, sometimes it compounds in ways we don't appreciate or know for better or for ill. I also have adult children who sometimes say, you know, Dad, you said this when I was this age. I was like, I, I, I did? I have no recollection. Again, for better you're, or you're for worse. You actually listening? <laughs> right? So everything is compounding. But certainly from a Motley Fool standpoint, I just love that I hit this one first. And this won't be the only one because, Kevin, there are other aspects of thinking about finances and life, which is not the focus of this interview, but it's clearly part of your focus in life and part of your knowledge base and and your interest. Presumably, you've been a saver through your life. I hope you you own some stock or you own some shares of the things that you created. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, another piece of advice, I'm sh- I don't know if you get to, but was, that, you know, it, again, I was very practical. It was like, um, you know, uh, actually, I don't even know if it was in the book, but it was something I, I have a I have a granddaughter now. And I was saying to the granddaughter, it was kind of a funny joke, but I was saying, forget crypto, kid. He'll you know, invest in index stocks, you know, and mutual funds. So, um, um but yeah, it, 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 I have been, and you know, I've been a buy and hold guy, and um, through through everything, thick and thin. And I remember, I remember back in the eighties, I guess it was. It must have been in the eighties. Uh, there was a curmudgeonly guy at Holworth Catalog, and there was like the first time in my recollection where the stocks were going down. It was kind of like a, I'm not sure what the event was. Um, maybe it was, was Black Monday, the, 1987. Who knows? That stock went no, down no, a lot. It, in that yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it was 87. And he was saying, "Oh, you know, sell, 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 whatever it was." I was saying, "No, bye, bye, bye." This is like <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is. If I had cash, I'd be buying right now. But um, <laughs> I have been, and, and we have been very fortunate in that way. Um, to you know, uh, again, in index funds is primarily what what I do. I don't have time to be to do the kind of research that you need to, to be good at this. So I'm a lazy investor, and um, the, you know I've been served well by by, by hanging. In. Yeah, it worked. Compounding works, and uh, yep. certainly I I uh, I prefer investing directly in individual stocks, as I'm sure you right, know. Right. We love here at the Fool, but cer- right there with our first book, the Motley Fool Investment Guide. We started by saying everybody could or should just index, and for most people, that's yeah. what makes the most sense. And and at right. that time, anyway, there was so much marketing of managed mutual funds that index funds looked even better because they were just so much cheaper. And the way to really yep. Yep. compound was to not be paying so much in fees. Excellent advice exactly. for living, page 54, and I quote, Over the long term, 
the future is decided by optimists. To be an optimist, you don't have to ignore the multitude of problems we create. You just have to imagine how much our ability to solve problems improves. Yes. I have become deliberately more optimistic as I get older. I think the kind of optimism I'm talking about is a choice and less of a kind of a sunny disposition. It's more of a choice where um, it's an act of imagination primarily to imagine um, things working out good and well, things improving over time um, because to imagine things getting worse is easy. It's cheap. It's very cheap to imagine how things go wrong because that is the probable destination. That's the that's entropy. Entropy is most things are going to fail. Most things are going to break. It's easy to imagine them breaking. It's much harder to imagine how things work well. And we have this problem right now with AI. It's far easier to imagine all the ways that it doesn't work and harder to imagine how it works. But if we can, if we can, then um, we're rewarded by it becoming more likely that it will happen. Okay, and so uh, more likely that the good version will happen. And um, so, so overall, it isn't that we are ignoring the problems. It's just that we're imagining and, and seeing how, in fact, our ability to get better and how future generations can improve things so that, our, um, that, that we can have, that we are actually more successful at solving problems. We will no doubt make new problems beyond, beyond what we have right now. And the only reason why we don't despair is because we will also continue to make solutions and the ability to solve those problems even faster. And that's that 1% difference. That, that difference may only be 1%, by the way. I'm, is, remember what I'm saying is that there may only be a, a 1% difference in our ability to solve the problem versus having the problems. But that 1% is all we need. That's the that's my protopian vision. That's, that's yes. protopian. Yes, and I was going to rock that because I remember you and I talked about that, and certainly you wrote yeah. about it in The in Inevitable. We're not living in a utopia. I think we can all agree on yeah. that. We're pretty <laughs> sure we're not living in a dystopia. I think things would be a lot, a lot worse. But what you have said for many years now, and you just alluded to it again, is we're living in what you call a protopia, which by my layman's definition is basically things are getting infinitesimally better each day, like maybe less than 1%, but right. every day. And, you know, maybe some days they get a little bit worse that day, but invisibly so. And right. so and, and we have a hard time. And that's also global average because there's obviously parts of the world Absolutely. that are, are, are going backwards. But as a global average, on average, there's an infinitesimal amount with local, you know, disruptions and local setbacks. That's right. Just as just as you might have your own, anybody would have an illness. That was one of the, one of the. Uh, there was a doctor that I worked with, uh, an author, who who um, he said, you know, if you do a really honest appraisal of your body every day, each every day you're going to find some little injury, some little cut, some little boil, something. There's there's not there's not a single day when your body is perfect. And that is just sort of the, the cost of living, so to speak. And it's the same thing with our global 
civilization that there are going to be always illnesses and, and cuts and injuries, but that we overcome them over time. And, and that, by the way, is another bit of advice. I believe that optimism can be learned. And we, we know from studies that this is true. And uh, one of the differences, or one of the main skills, if I would have to say, it's, it's actually a skill. Optimism is a skill. One of the skills of optimism is that you understand that setbacks are temporary. Setbacks are temporary. They're not your identity. It's, the pessimist believes that the setbacks is their identity, that that's inevitable, that they're fated to it. We can't escape it. But an optimist views setback as temporary, something that can be overcome. That's a great definition. And uh, you've already said optimism is a choice. That's what you said initially. Right, right. Optimism is a skill. It can be learned. It reminds me of... Um, a friend of mine who's a world-class executive coach, Heath Dekert, Heath often with his clients will say, hey, what's the best you can see for yourself? Uh, you know, <laughs> Great th- question. This summer or coming out of your book tour or the rest of right, your right, life. Right, right. And that knee-jerk question forces people to articulate yeah. in their minds what might be the best – and guess what? You're much more likely to get near there if you've thought about it than just locking your way into the best. Right, right. So I hear a very similar thought. There's one other friend of mine I want to mention, Madison Perry, who when ChatGPT started to make its big pop culture splash starting late last year, Madison, who tweets out sometimes on Twitter, said something to the effect of, what does it say about us? And this is my question for you. This is not merely rhetorical, Kevin. I'll ask you directly. What does it say about us humans that so many people are just trying to break ChatGPT and mess <laughs> with it and make it say stupid stuff or show its shortcomings? And I don't think he's necessarily being cynical. This is a positive inquiry. What does that say about humans? Actually, I'm not bothered by that because that, to me, is much more in tradition of what um, the origins of the word hacking came from. This is what the hackers were doing. Love it. Back in the old days, MIT, they were hacking the system. They were trying to jailbreak it. They were trying to see where what would work and not work as a means of exploring. It was a, it was, and that's what a lot of the people who are hacking the ChatGPT are doing, trying to you know jailbreak it. Is 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 they're kind of probing the limits of it, which I think is a very natural kind of fun thing to do. I don't think it's that malicious where they actually are trying to, you know, they, they were some guy who was asking ChatGPT about how to um, eliminate humans on earth, you know? And I mean, it was, it was, what it wasn't a serious intention to try and do that. It was more kind of saying what, what it would it say? And so, um, so, so I think at this level that we're talking about right now, it's a, it's a form of hacking. It's an exploration. It's testing the limits. It's like you know, quality control in some senses that the consumers are doing the quality control of like where does this break, which is what um, you know software people do all the time. There are people who are hired, and that's their job is to see if they can break it, and that's sort of what was happening here. Number six comes from page 132. Number six in our interview. This is the six that Kevin and I are doing of his stuff. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. Miraculous things can be accomplished if you give it 10 years. 
a long game will compound small gains that will be able to overcome even big mistakes. And I'll put an end quote right there. But I want to add, first of all, this is a second one that speaks again to compounding and small things growing. And you know I'm a sucker for these themes. But what I like about this one is you're also pointing out one of the things I've tried to point out about stock market investing in my own experience, both acting on my own advice and what I've provided to others, and that is losers are overrated. We make fearful, too fearful losing in life. The most you can ever lose, and I've done this only once or twice, is 100%, unless you're doing some crazy, silly thing. (laughs) But the most you can make is infinite. And if you do the math, losing is so overrated and not worthy of the fear people accord it. So to quote you again, a long game will compound small gains that will be able to overcome even, and I would even say in quotes, big but you mean losses. seriously mistakes or losses yeah. exactly yeah again there's there's a direct obvious financial vector in this but this also same advice applies to other things and so you could again if you are um let's, let's for instance um one of the values of of doing art say on a regular basis is that um you can make some bombs. You can make stuff that's that's no good. You could be in a kind of a, a streak where you just nothing is very good. But if you do it every day, you're you're compounding your skills, and that will overcome even the you know the, the most um, horrific kind of mistake um, that you might make or failure. And so um, this idea of doing things on a regular basis. And a small things on a regular basis is 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 part of what the advice is about. And that could apply to exercise. That could apply to so like if you're doing exercise every day and then you get hurt, it's much easier to overcome that because you have built in this sort of compounding ability to kind of return to the gym or whatever it is. Yeah, and, fit, and, being and go fit, back. being stronger. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, really appreciate that. Have you ever read or maybe met? James Clear or his book Atomic Habits. I am, of course, very aware of the book and a big fan of it. I have not actually met um, James, um, but I I applaud his 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 basic thesis, his ideas about making things as easy as possible, um, as um, habitual as possible, and and I think um, that that has been an influence on, on my own habit making. And, and of course, there's good habits and bad habits too. But you know, going back to the investment thing, yes, that, that's very much true. And I think it's also really that advice is really good uh, at, for entrepreneurs and people who are who are trying to do something new and difficult. And that is is the same thing that that if you are can construct your advance, construct your progress in a way that it's incrementally compounding, where you do things and you're not kind of waiting for a big payoff you're not you're not hoping for the the the, the thing to come in all at once kind of that yeah. get rich fast but you're kind of getting rich slowly who wants to get rich slowly well everybody should be because that's really the only way you're going to get there <laughs> and so and so if you do this in a kind of compounding then again when when you have the disaster strikes when when when, when the lights you know or go out whatever it is when it's when you had your near-death experience which you will have if you're an entrepreneur 
then you can overcome it much easier because you have built in this compounding slow gains you've been gaining all along. So you go back uh, 10 feet, but you've been incrementally gaining it for each day. Resilience, obviously the word grit in recent years has been yes. used to describe this. And uh, and it, it, the reason it's popular is because it's important and it counts. Yeah. Well, uh, two more, two more. Number seven, page 202. This one you won't even find fast enough because it's so short I'll be done before you get there, <laughs> Kevin. But go with the option that opens up yet more yeah. options. Yes. So – this is actually maybe a kind of a more of a theme of the book in general. There's a couple of themes in, in the book. One of is about, about the generous nature of the universe. And the second one is this idea of opening up options, which is part of what optimism is about. But the, the, the idea is, is that um, um, in, in my view, when I think about technology, which, you know, we're kind of taught here and there about um, again, a new technology, I think most of the problems that we have today in our lives and in the world have been created by technologies of the past. And most of the technologies of tomorrow will be caused by our technologies that we're making today. And, but, but, and, and the most critics of technology would probably agree with that. But where I diverge from the critics is I believe that the solutions to those problems is not less technology, but better more and better technology. And those new and better technologies themselves are not immune because they will produce new and better problems. And so you, so you might wonder, well, what's gained by all this running around where problems, technology making new problems, solving new problems, making new problems. And there's, there's one fundamental thing, which is that we get options out of, we get choices, we get possibilities. That's the difference between living in a city and living in a beautiful village in the Himalayas where they eat organic food and stuff is that you take the one-way bus into the grimy, gritty city and you have choices about what you can do. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to be a farmer's wife. And so, um, so that's what technology gives us and that's what civilization is giving us is increased choices. And so, and so what we want in our individual lives and society-wise, is that when we make choices, we want to favor those choices that will unleash more options. We don't want to close down options. We always want to make choices where we're increasing our options over time. Love it. Each time we make a choice, we are going to close off options. So there's there is inherently a closing off of options, but we want to be opening up more than we close off. And that is so, so, so when, when, when I look at decisions that I have to make, I'm evaluating it on what does the optionscape look like? What, what, what it, it does going into this way, does it increase my choices and possibilities, even though that might close off others? Or is it going in a direction where I'm restricting the number of options that I have? And so, um, so I think, that that thinking in terms of the optionscape is 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 a skill that we're going to increasingly come to rely on as we have more and more choices and possibilities before us. You know, I think about um, I, I love your point about the problems of today are better problems in some ways. They're also more right. complex problems, and therefore we need right, better right. technology to solve them. 
some of the undeniable human progress, the yes, things really were worse back then, and yes, things really are better today, and only we can't see it day to day in a protopia, but when we look a century backward, we see that many of the top causes of death of our fellow humans a century ago are diseases that have been eradicated. It's yeah. truly remarkable. We, we take for granted too often, probably every day, how much has been gained, how much safer this world is, even though we're all aware of problems with guns and other threats in our society today. But wow. So some of the problems of today truly are better problems in the sense that they're not as sad and tragic what we're actually having <laughs> to encounter as something like smallpox. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, to me, there's nothing that makes me more optimistic than reading history during <laughs> during during covid um we read up and watched many many lectures on what actually happened during the black death during the plague oh my gosh it was just horrific in so many ways where i mean it was very rapid and you know the entire families being wiped out except for one person i mean it was like that it was really phenomenal and, of course, they didn't even have the highest level of living standards to begin with, but this was just really, really, really plunged them to the depths. And, um, and, and yeah, if you read anything about how slavery was endemic for most cultures around the world, it was really, really, um, really bad. So, so I always like the Obama challenge, which is um, – you're going to be born somewhere in the world with no control over what rank you are, or what gender you are. It's like, what year do you want to be born in? <laughs> you know, it's like, you do not want to be born in the past. <laughs> you do not want to be born in the past where you're randomly going to be born somewhere in the world. And you, yeah. you know, most people had it really, really tough and particularly the women. It was, um, so, so if you, so you can see progress in that way more than just longevity, just um, control of your time, um, you know, uh, pain, all kinds of things. Before we go to our final quote, I just want to underline one quick investment point about your go with the option that opens up yet more options. One of the words that I've used regularly over the years for my own signature style of investing is optionality. I know you know what that means. And I think a lot of people do too, but I don't think enough of the world understands the power of companies. And Alphabet is a great example. And Amazon is a great example. And many, ironically, perhaps of the best stocks of our time, the stocks that you want to have had in your portfolio are companies that exhibit extreme optionality. It does seem with, as they go with their option, Whatever their initial business model is, it opens up more options, to your point, Kevin. So I want to make sure there's a real clear parallel in my fellow fools' minds here that what Kevin is saying about go with the option that opens up yet more options is awesome advice for entrepreneurs and for investors buying into certain stocks over certain others. So I am a huge so, actually, optionality I haven't, buff. Uh, I haven't heard your your, your definition. Could you um, summarize that to me in just one sentence? Uh, you, you you hinted at it, but um, optionality meaning that uh, companies that are increasing the options in which they can do business. So companies that whose very nature is such that they have 
increasing numbers of options with their widget or platform or mm. cultural or, or innovative idea. Um, and so um, it was once pointed out to me by Andy Cross, our chief investment officer here at The Fool. He said, you know, David, the difference between you and Buffett, well, there are actually a lot of differences between <laughs> me and Buffett that don't actually make me look very good. But he said, the difference between you is that you are looking for companies with infinite possible futures, and yeah. Buffett is looking for companies with one definite future. You think about, say, his candies or right, Geico, right. insurance. Right, right, but right, I've right, always, right. you know, I loved AOL back in the day, my first hundred bagger stock, yeah, because yeah. I saw it could be so much more. Or Amazon started, you remember this, Kevin? Earth's yeah. biggest bookseller. Of course you do. So, right. so companies I was one that- of the first, I was one of the very first customers because Jeff knew the whole Earth catalog and we were book reviewers. So he <laughs> invited Stuart and me in, and I actually have a history of my first Third purchase brand. in 1995. Um, um, and, um, you know, yes, it was, but, but I have to say, I did not see the optionality that Jeff saw because I was imagining it as, as book selling and anybody who saw beyond that had a bigger vision th than I had. Well, and if but I, I may I, say, if I may say, I don't even think Jeff saw what Jeff would yeah, see because right, that's right. part of the nature of this is that you yeah. kind of, as you take more steps toward the lighthouse, you still don't exactly know where it is, but you know that's a little brighter than where I just stepped from. And as you get closer, right. these are the words of Shirzad Shamin, the author of Positive Intelligence. I've always loved this metaphor he uses. As you get, you'll never actually get to the lighthouse, but you'll, there's more and more light. And so it really, I do think that Jeff Bezos did not know Amazon Web Services in 1995. No, and, no, no but, he, but, he did not. But who sure. was positioned? Who was positioned culturally, and yeah. with the ideas to actually take us there and get us there? And where will these entrepreneurs and these visionaries take us next? And you're one of them, Kevin. So that's why I'm yeah. delighted to hang out with you. I mean, I, I, I like that that term, and I would suggest, you know, I would expand it beyond even investment and even a personal optionality and say that what we want to have as a civilization is optionality. Love that. Is we, we want to increase the optionality so that we as a civilization are opening up options all the time, taking choices where we increase options rather than decrease them. And um, that may be something to keep in mind <laughs> headed into the current situation with China and Russia is to um, try and keep our options expanding. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Mary Long, thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.